Over the next uh, few weeks, we are going to be looking from Hebrews 11 at faith. We're going to be looking at the fight of faith. Because if there's anything that there is a constant battle or struggle with, it is living a life of faith as a Christian. Faith is such a vital element in the Christian life And unfortunately, it's one that's often overlooked or taken for granted. In fact, the very topic, the very theme of faith is often used in Christian circles as a cliche of sorts. Phrases like, you just got to have faith. Or, believe for the impossible. It oftentimes makes this important element of faith it etherealizes it. it. It trivializes what it means to have faith in the true biblical sense. And in what we are to have faith in. For instance, I just was listening to a talk just this past week. And in this talk, this individual was talking about the uh, Peter walking on the water. And how many times individuals will criticize Peter for his lack of faith. And this person rightly brought out the point that Peter is the one who actually got out of the boat. None of the others were willing to get out of the boat. So while Peter's faith was lacking... It was much greater than the other 11 that's decided to stay in the boat. I mean, right? But then this individual took it a a step further than where Scriptures go and say the point of the story is not Peter's lack of faith. It's Jesus' question of why did you doubt? Because Jesus' point was, well, that Jesus had more faith in Peter than Peter had in Jesus. That Jesus believed that Peter could do it. He believed in a greater potential that Peter had. He had faith that Peter could do it. That may sound good at an original listening or reading, but the problem is, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You see, the point of faith is not that somehow we can muster it up within ourselves or that we can reach our greater potential if we just try harder. Faith is sourced in Jesus. You see, faith is indeed required of us not only as an entryway into the Christian life, but faith is a requirement for the duration of of the Christian life. In other words, we do not exercise faith, which by the way, even that faith for salvation is a faith that is given to us. We don't muster it up within our own hearts. But faith is not just a doorway into the Christian life and then we leave our faith behind and we start to do everything on our own. The Christian life itself is a lifelong call to faith. 
The question then that lies before us is how is the Christian life a life of faith? And in what way are we to exercise that faith? If faith is just a being hopeful or a hopeful optimism that everything will turn out right, or if faith is simply a let go, let God mentality, it's just a passive leaving things to God, then we're going to find our concept of faith is greatly lacking, and we're going to find ourselves often hitting roadblocks, even more than we already do hit, in our Christian life. I like what one individual says. He says this, Often when we think of faith, our image is one of subjective experience. In other words, personal experience. My idea, my experience of faith can be different than your experience of faith, in other words. He says, but the validity of Christian faith does not rest on either our sincerity or our fervency. Christian faith stands or falls on the truth that the Word of God reveals. In other words, the litmus test for our faith is not how much of it we can muster up within ourselves. It is what we are placing our faith in. I believe I've told you this story long ago, but it was a while ago, so many of you were not here. But I'll never forget um, visiting when, during uh, Rachel and I's ministry in Virginia, visiting a man in hospice um, who, who was not a believer, did not know the Lord, uh, his family did not know the Lord, and uh, visiting and, and sharing the gospel. And we were in uh, uh, hospice for veterans, and I was sitting, he was getting worse and worse and worse. I was sitting in the waiting room uh, in the lobby with his daughter and tr- uh, trying to share the gospel with, with her and coming to this aspect of faith that, that we, we have to place our faith in Jesus. And she was very quick to, to, to uh, uh, interrupt and to say, oh, yes, yes, yes. Faith is so important. You got to have faith. I have faith. And in that conversation, the idea, the context of what she was saying was the idea not in what her faith was placed in, what the object of her faith was. It was just the simple idea that I have faith. But you see, Christian faith, true faith, stands or falls on the truth that the Word of God reveals. It is not whether we have faith, it is what is our faith placed in. And these are some things that we'll be looking at as we look at this fight of faith. Over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be looking from Hebrews 11. This morning, we're going to look at the importance of faith. We want to set some groundwork for what the Bible says about faith, specifically in Hebrews 11. Next week, we're going to look at the danger of the absence of faith. And then the following week, we're going to look at the renewal of faith in our Christian lives. Because here's the whole point of of what we're studying, and here's, here's the whole point of the message of faith in the Bible. It is this, that those who come to God must come in faith. Let's say that together. Those who come to God must come in faith. Today's society will say there's many ways to come to God. How many of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? 
If you haven't, you really should. And if, if you have young children, you really should order Pilgrim's Progress from Amazon. You can even get um, the versions to be uh, according to age groups. And have your kids, and you read along Pilgrim's Progress, it will greatly enrich your Christian life. Well, in this story, Pilgrim's Progress, you have Pilgrim on this voyage to the celestial, the celestial city, um, uh, which, which is a... Uh, an analogy to heaven and he's traveling this road and all of a sudden what does he see he sees other travelers that are trying to take shortcuts they're trying to climb over walls they're trying to go different routes than what the map says man that's what we see today but those who come to God must come in faith let's pray father thank you that we've been able to be a part of the lives of those who were baptized today. Father, I just uh, pray for Keith and for Bridget, for Isaac, for Scott, that as they take this first public step in their walk of faith, God, that it would be the first of many to come as God will call them to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, I pray for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, that we would see that this Christian life is not a life meant to be of ease. It's not a life meant to be where we have all of the answers, where everything makes sense, where we're in control, where our agendas are met. But God, we follow you. We follow where you first lead. So Lord, as we look at this fight of faith in our own lives, I pray that we would be enriched and encouraged through what the Bible has to say about faith. And Lord, for the countless people who have gone on before us that Hebrews 11 shows us have walked this walk of faith and have been commended by you, because they were looking for something greater than the immediate. So Father, would you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we are going to look at the importance of faith. Our theme verse for these next three weeks uh, is Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6, it's a fairly short verse, but boy is there a lot in there. It says, and without faith, It is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. This morning as we look at the importance of faith, we may be so, com- so used to this verse that it doesn't jump out to us like it should. But when something says it is impossible to please God without something, boy, that should raise the radar in our minds. If we don't have faith, it is impossible to please Him. You see, there's an apparent problem here. What's the problem? This verse doesn't say that it, it, without faith it is difficult to please God. 
or without faith, you know, God, he understands and he kind of does a grading curve in our life. No, it says it is impossible to please him without faith. In other words, there's no substitute for faith. If we just look at a few case studies, if you're involved in counseling or if you're involved um, in working with people, you know what a case study is, where you have, you have a general principle, a general guideline, and then you have case studies of how this plays out in our lives or in other individuals' lives. I just want to share with you two case studies. We see different aspects of where it is impossible to please God without faith in our Christian life. If you turn over to Matthew 6, you're, you're all familiar with this passage, or most of you. Matthew 6, if you're using a, 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 a pew Bible, page 812, 811. Hear some pages rattling. It's hard to tell nowadays because maybe you're on your phone. I, I don't hear any fingernails tapping the screen. But I want everyone to look at this because it's not on the overhead. Matthew 6. We see one example of faith as a faith in our attitudes. Jesus says this to the people on the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Has anybody here seen a bird like wandering around that, that seems to be worrying about something? Anybody? I had a talking parrot, and we could teach him to talk like he would worry, but there was never any worry there. All right, so nobody, no takers. All right, let's go to the next example. And of which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? How many of you have had, in the past year, have had bad health uh, news from a doctor? I know you have. It's, uh, yeah. Now, 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 how many of you have ever gone to the next doctor's appointment after worrying for weeks and the doctor said, have you been worrying? Your tests are so much better. Anybody? So Jesus says, how many of you by worrying can add a single hour to his span of life? Then he gives another example, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Have you, looked, have you seen any flowers worrying? Or trying to grow and flourish? Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That's saying a lot because Solomon was the highest, the epitome of riches and blessing to the Hebrew mind at the time of writing. And he says, man, the flowers were adorned greater than Solomon. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
So what's the conclusion here? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So he's, he's saying, man, the people that, that are, are not a part of the people of God, the Gentiles, that, that's their mode of life. That's not what you're called to. What are we called to? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Folks, that is the attitude of faith. If you're looking for a case study of what the Christian attitude to life is to be, it's Matthew 6. But instead of seeking first God's kingdom, the problem with our lives, while God is doing a, a saving work in us, He saved us from our sins, but He's progressively saving us as well, is that we have these two little kingdoms that we are fighting against, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. And the kingdom of self says, my agendas, my ways, my mindsets. And the kingdom of God says, no, it is God's purposes, God's plans. It is walking a life by faith. It is entrusting to Him the things of life and the things of eternal matters. And the greatest point I would submit to you, the greatest areas of worry is where we are actively pursuing our own agendas. That's, the, that's when I worry the greatest. When I desire something, when I expect something, and I'm fretful because it may not happen. But let's also look at a case study, not only of faith and attitude, but faith and action. Matthew 17, if you just flip over a few pages... The disciples have just seen Jesus in the beginning of chapter 17 on, on the mountain where, where He was transfigured and His glory shone and the disciples saw Jesus' true glory. It was veiled in His humanity as He walked on this earth, but for this brief moment, they saw His true glory. And then when we come to verse 14, it says, And when they had come to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. Have you ever seen anybody with epilepsy? Um, it's, not a, it's not fun at all. For often he falls into the fire and, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And we see the cause in this case of his epilepsy is, is demonic. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, 
You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, we could spend a whole sermon on this text, so we're not going to unpack everything that's here. But as we look at this faith in action, I just want to give you three principles of faith in action. First of all, biblical faith is a following faith. We don't come up with our own agendas of what we're going to place faith in and what we're not going to place faith in. We exercise faith as we follow Jesus. You see, verse 17, Jesus rebukes the multitude. Notice he, he's not rebuking the disciples here who could not cast out the demon. He's rebuking the multitude. And he says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. You see, the multitudes he is rebuking are those who do not see that he is the true Son of God, the Messiah, who has come as promised. And this this control, this demonic control is just an, an, exercise, uh, an example of the unbelief of this generation. You see, biblical faith is a following faith. Secondly, biblical faith is not a random faith. Biblical faith is always sourced in Jesus. It's always sourced in His will. It is always sourced in His mission. You see, many times we can take verses like this and we can, we can uh, read in, uh, verse 20 and say, boy, if I just have faith like a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. And we start to, to you know, want to walk out like, like super Christian. Didn't they have an 80s show of like super Christian or something? I got, maybe I'm thinking a Bible man. I don't know. Um, he, he's, he's real. He kind of was like Batman, so as you're young, he's kind of cool, but kind of cheesy. But anyway, um, we can often take a verse like this and think, you know, I can just go out, and if I just have faith, man, I can do anything. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that we just exercise faith on a whim and it happens. We see examples of this even in today's uh, Christian culture, the whole name it and claim it idea. Have you heard of that? That if I just speak these words of faith, they will happen. If I claim this in the name of Jesus, that if, my, if I have enough faith, then that's going to happen. Listen, uh, uh, am, is my job to conform God's will to me? or for me to conform my will to His. Biblical faith is not a random faith. It is sourced in Christ, and not only Christ, because we can all say our faith is sourced in Christ. But is it sourced in His will and His mission? In other words, when my faith is truly sourced in Christ, I am going to be seeking His agendas as the Holy Spirit leads me. And we have the confidence of the requests we ask of Him when our heart is aligned with His and His will. But biblical faith is thirdly, it is a powerful faith. 
When he says, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move, Jesus is basically uh, giving a, a word picture here of true faith in God realizes that not even the greatest of obstacles cannot be overcome through Christ. The greatest mountain, 1 Corinthians 13, 2. But this is not because our faith is necessarily great, but because of the one in whom we place our faith. Because if you're being a careful reader of this text, does it, doesn't, does it not jump out to you that Jesus says, um, the disciples ask him in verse 19, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. But then he goes on and it's almost like a, Jesus, are you saying, are you contradicting yourself? Then he says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain. Now, isn't a, gra- a grain of mustard seed little faith? So they couldn't cast out the demon because of his little faith. And then Jesus says, if you just have a little bit of faith like a mustard seed, God will accomplish great things. Isn't that the same idea? You see, what the disciples were casting their faith in was not truly the mission and the work of God. They were casting their faith. The little faith that they did have was a very me-centered faith. It was not the mustard seed faith that pursues Christ and His agendas and His will and His kingdom like we talked about in Matthew 6. That is the type of mustard seed faith that accomplishes great things for God. But many times we misplace the mustard seed faith of seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness by faith for our little faith that we try to Christianize. You see the difference? You see, a little faith that is me-centered places self at the center of that, our own objectives, our own wills. And man, we can be saying we're doing a great work from God, for God and it easily becomes our own, how we feel we should do that work for God. The Bible says that is not true. According to the Bible's definition, faith. So as we jump back to Hebrews 11, and time is is short, we're going to look at exactly what, why is biblical faith important? You see, verse 6 of Hebrews 11, again, without faith it is impossible to please Him. But in order to come to verse 6, we first have to jump to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is coming off the heels of a warning passage. In in verse 39 of Hebrews chapter 10, it says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, the author of Hebrews, and we're not sure who the exact author of Hebrews is. Many people have different ideas, but the Bible just does not say. He's saying that it is the characteristic of God's people 
to not shrink back and be destroyed. To be spiritually destroyed. A saving faith will cause us to, per, to preserve, to persevere in our faith. So therefore, it stands to ask, okay, then what is this kind of faith? And that's where verse 1 comes in. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What this is saying is, first of all, our faith consists in reality. You see, I can, again, I can have faith in a lot of things. I can, I can have faith that, that you know, my, my van is going to last another five years. Or that I'm going to have good health until I'm 65. I can have faith in a lot of stuff. I can hope for a lot of stuff, but that's not what this verse means when it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You see, this word assurance uh, can also have the idea of the substance. In other words, it is the underlying structure of faith. The underlying structure of faith that it has as its object the things that are hoped for. And these are very specific things. I like what Warren Wearsby says, faith is to a Christian what a foundation is to a house. The same word substance or assurance is used in Hebrews 1.3 talking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That word nature. So if you're looking at what is faith composed of, faith is composed of of those things that are hoped for and what sets the agenda for that hope it is the Scriptures. You see, in the Bible, and I've shared this before, if you remember this, whenever you see the word hope in the Bible, it is a hope in that which is certain to come. It's not a hope in, in, in uncertainties. It's a hope in that which is to come. In other words, it's a hope in the promises of Scripture. And specifically, it is a hope in the promise of Jesus and what He is doing in us, around us, and through us. It is the ultimate hope of that new heaven, that new earth. It is a hope that is above the everyday small things that we so easily worry about. It is a hope that God is setting the agenda for my life and for this world, and He will see it to completion. Faith has as its object that kind of hope. And we as Christians, myself included, we like to take that and we like to package it up and commercialize it and we like to make it become all about us and our specific wishes and hopes and this and that. And God says you have set your hope far too short. You see, our faith consists in reality. And our faith is also evidenced by our faith. How does that sound? Our faith is evidenced by our faith. In other words, don't say you have faith. And yet live in such a way, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, 
that there is no faith. Because the next part of verse 1 says that faith is the conviction of things that are not seen. If I see you right in front of me, I don't have to necessarily place a lot of faith in that, do I? Are you really here? Now we start getting a, getting a postmodern. Is what, I, is what I see, is that really it? Or, yeah. But we're not going there. It is the conviction. In other words, it is the proof of things not seen. Faith is the proof of things not seen. In other words, if those things that we are hoping in, God has set the agenda for those things that we are hoping in through His Word, then faith then places hope in that, and even though those things are not seen, they are as good as reality. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Why are they of good courage? They're, uh, in the context of what's going on, they're, they're undergoing difficulty in their earthly bodies. They're undergoing difficult circumstances, Paul and his, his, his company, because of the spread of the gospel. And they realize that, man, we are here at home in the body, but we are away from the Lord. But this is why we're of good courage, because we walk by faith and not by sight. If you had a chart of opposites, what you would see is the opposite, um, uh, or a, a chart where you have seeming opposites that come together. You would have faith on one side, and paral- paralleling that, you would have things not seen. The things that are seen, that, that then we come to believe. We have the example of Thomas, right? He says, he hasn't risen. And then he sees the nails, the scars, and he says, Thomas, you believe in me because you see me, but blessed are those who believe that have never seen. You see, J. Oswald Chambers says, faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. So how does this work into our everyday life? That we are to have faith in that which is not seen. In our everyday Christian life and in our struggles and our our continual falling and and we see what God's Word says and we look at our own life and how how, uh, we're not there. Our very failures point us to the hope of the gospel that what Jesus has accomplished perfectly, He's done it on our behalf. And in the midst of our failures, we can have faith in that which is not seen because we know God's Word has told us that God is doing a work in us and will not give up on that work because we are His masterpieces. And faithful is he who called you who also will do it. So our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who our God is. And we say, God, would you help us to follow you and to obey you in faith? 
When we look at our lives and many times we get discouraged where God has placed us or with the, with the jobs we have or with the money we have or, and, and there's these legitimate concerns, our faith in what is not seen is not that we're going to get the check for a million dollars. It's not that we're going to get the promotion at work. It's not simply in this is how God's going to work it out. Our faith is in what Scripture has clearly told us. And man, when you know the scriptures and your mind can go to a place like Psalm 30, I believe it's 37, where David says, I was young, but now I am old, and never have I seen the righteous begging for bread. We read Matthew 6 where God promises to provide for all of our needs and to do all of these things. Our faith in what is not seen is a faith that God will provide for His people. It's not how God will provide for His people. We can have a a vision and a mission for God that we are going to do a great work for God. And that, that uh, you can be a, a teenager here, you can be in elementary school, and you know, you're thinking, boy, what can I do for God? Maybe God's going to call me out to the mission field. Maybe God's going to have me plant a church. Maybe God is going to have me do this or that, and we dream big dreams for God. Our faith is not to be how God will work out that seed of desire He's placed in our heart that I have this desire, therefore my faith is that it's going to happen, and it's going to happen this way. No, our faith is in the fact that we are to be about the kingdom business of our Lord. And He's planted this desire, and we are going to follow Him according to His timing, and His agendas, and His ways. And guess what? God may at the end of the road have us doing something that we thought is totally opposite of where we thought He would have us. But faith is in the God, not the details. We try to get it backwards, and because we don't see the details working out like we think, there must be something wrong either with my faith or even worse, with my God. But when we have this type of faith that believes in that which is not seen, and side note, how are you to know the promises of the Scriptures? How are you to be able to take the promises of the Scriptures and place your faith in those if if you don't know His Word? That's just a side note. But when we are placing our faith in God, in the person of Jesus, in His work, in His mission, in His will, verse 2 shows that our faith is commended. Look at it, it says, For by it, by this type of faith, the people of old receive their commendation. In other words, we are simply in a long line of saints that have walked this road of faith. They have been commended. In fact, that is a key word that's going to carry us through a big chunk of this passage. Verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice uh, than Cain, through which he was what? Commended. God commending him by accepting his gifts. 
Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. All the way to verse 39. And all these, every single person in Hebrews 11, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we see examples of this commendation of true faith. But I also want to point out to you, as you look at Hebrews 11, we do see these mighty deeds that these individuals from of old have done. But listen, their commendation is not sourced in what they did. Before they ever did, Scripture makes clear it was stemming from a heart of faith. You see, our commendation is through faith, not simply through works. And then as we close, we have to see that no believer is exempt from this need of faith. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You see, faith is not for a select few. Notice verse 3 says, by faith, what's what's the word that's used there? The pronoun? We. We. It doesn't say, by faith, these guys in the, in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant. It doesn't say, by faith, some of you. By faith, we understand. You see, true faith that the Scriptures here in Hebrews 11 is talking about is not just for the pastors. It's not just for the spiritual leadership. It's not just for the women. It's not just for the men. It's not just for for whoever. This is a universal needed faith. This faith has always, always been in what is not seen. You see, the author of Hebrews isn't trying to get sidetracked to all of a sudden bring creation into this for no purpose. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. You may say, well, what does that have to do with anything? What we see here is that the universe was created by the Word of God, and the second phrase there is meant to interpret the first. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, what did he just say in verse 1? Faith is the conviction of things what? Not seen. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that our faith being sourced in God, in His Word, in His will, in His mission, realizes that from the very beginning of time, God has worked in a certain way. And it was Himself accomplishing His purposes and His will. What did He create from? He created something out of nothing. He created from what is not seen to create what is seen, what is visible. So in other words, if God has been doing this type of work from the beginning of time, if we don't see 
the promises of God in their, in their fulfillment and in their reality, then what's the big deal? Because God has been doing this from the beginning of time. You see, our faith is in God's creative work, not our own ability. Our faith is in God setting the agenda, not ourselves. Our faith is in God leading and we follow because it is God who creates out of nothing. So therefore, what we must realize is that genuine spirituality stems from genuine faith. And this genuine faith will produce actions. In Hebrews 11, we see 17 specific characters, individuals mentioned. And each of them acted because of the faith they possessed. We also see a genuine faith has its object something greater than self. And again, our time is gone, but verses 13 to 16, you can look at those later. That every single one of these individuals that, that the author of Hebrews mentions says that these individuals, they had this great faith, but they died without ever seeing that faith come to fulfillment, what they were looking for that could not be seen. The Bible says Abraham was looking for a greater city that was to come. He never received that promise. All of these characters died without faith coming to fulfillment, but then we also, that leads us to this final point, a genuine faith is only complete in Christ. Verse 39 says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, what the author is saying is that these individuals were commended for the faith they had, and they didn't see the fulfillment of the faith of the promises that were given to him. They were greater than they even knew. But because of God's plan, God's agenda, Christ did come. And in Christ's coming, He has brought and included even us in His great and precious promises. So we are now in the company of these saints of chapter 11 that we've heard about since Sunday school. And what he is saying is that we now know the fulfillment of faith and it is in Jesus Christ and what He has and will accomplish. So when we look to these characters, we don't idolize them as though they have some great faith that, that is beyond our comprehension. No, we are to exercise the same sort of faith, only we know, now know the whole story. That Jesus has come. We live in light of Jesus. So if we are lacking faith in our life, how much greater accountability there is. <clears throat> Let me ask you, where is your faith placed today? 
is the reason for your distance, your seeming distance from God? Is it because you are refusing to see through the lenses of faith? We must remember that those who come to God must come in faith. Let's pray. Lord, as we close today, I pray that You would take, Lord, the truths from Your Word, that You would implant them in our heart. Father, we're a people that are in need of You. We are in need of Your grace. Lord, we're in need of Your continual forgiveness in our fellowship with You. Father, we fall so far short. But we claim the forgiveness that we have through Christ.